2, starting at verse 14 and going through to verse 26. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles, I'll just give you a little moment to either turn it on or open the page. So that's James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Going to try something a little different. I actually don't like being on stage as much as that's hard for some of you to believe. So uh, if we can actually do this from down here, this is what I'd much rather prefer when there's smaller congregations and things like that. So welcome one and all. It's great to be here. If anyone's got a problem with this, let me know after the service and we won't do it again. But um, hopefully you'll agree that uh, this is okay. So tonight we're going to be looking at a very difficult, difficult passage. So uh, last week we spoke about the sin of partiality and favouritism, that type of thing, how we shouldn't favour others and those types of things. James went to great lengths to make us see that we should never, ever actually show favouritism to anyone. We shouldn't judge a person as being better or worse than another. And if we want to do any comparisons whatsoever, we should be comparing ourselves to God and His incredible glory and everything like that. And realize that our comparisons are this way, not this way. We should never compare ourselves to another. It's a level playing field here on earth. And because we don't do what we should, sorry, when we do that, we realize that before Christ we were nothing. We had nothing to offer God really. And so my life with him is not about me and what I have done and what I could offer him. It was all about him and what he has done and the incredible thing he did for me. I was a terrible sinner and I still am. But he pursued me. He poured his love, grace, forgiveness and acceptance out on me. And we've had calling ourselves followers of Christ. Then his call on us is to be the same. And we're to show his grace and love to others. That's what he calls us to do. We should be pouring that out to those around us. And so the passage that we're looking at tonight builds on the need for our faith to be an active faith, a faith 
that is proven in how we live. And it's a difficult passage. But I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear what God says. I want you to read the passage that's before us, listen to what he says, and then make your own decisions from that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your presence with us tonight. Thank you for your love and grace and glory that you pour out upon us. Thank you that we are saved by faith and faith alone. But Lord, we got this passage before us. It's a tough passage, Lord. And we need your wisdom as we hear from you. So please open your word to us. Let us hear what you have to say. And Lord, help us, each and every one, to respond to the challenge that you place upon us as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin to look at this passage of Scripture, we see that James goes from speaking about the contrast between judgment and mercy, which uh, was a large part of last week's message, uh, to now speak about the contrast between faith and deeds. And so what we need to realize first is there is a faith that doesn't save. Makes us a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, it should. It should. But that's what James is actually saying here. At the very outset, James wants it to make it very, very clear that if the faith that is being professed is not proven or reflected or lived out in action, then there's problems. And in fact, he poses as a question that can only be considered to have one answer. The first verse that we're looking at this evening is James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And James is contrasting this whole thinking of talking versus doing. And his conclusion would have to put fear in some of us. He says, what good is it? Does it do any good whatsoever? Just to say that you have faith. He's asking, can that faith, the faith where you just say something, can that faith actually save you? And the obvious answer is no. That's what James is driving at here. James believes that very, very clearly. And he believes that true faith involves action. James then moves on to illustrate this point. He gives the example in verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the needs, uh, sorry, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And think about what James is saying here. Can anyone really say that if they see someone who obviously is starving or someone who is poorly dressed, that acceptable will say, hope your stomach's filled, hope you get warm, hope your nakedness is covered, go in peace, God bless you. Is that acceptable? It's crazy. But some people seem to think that. They don't seem to think that there should be any action involved. It's absolutely absurd. And our kind words do absolutely nothing to help that person. There's no benefit. And no good comes from it as a result. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 10, 30 to 37. A man was beaten by robbers. He was stripped and left to die. And a priest comes along and he sees the man and he crosses on the other side of the road to avoid him. A little bit later on, a Levite comes along and he does the same thing. He sees the guy and he crosses over. And we make excuses for these guys. 
We say, well, the Levite, he was possibly going up to spend his time in the temple, and if he touches this guy who could have ended up being dead, he becomes unclean, he can't do his job. Quite justified. But this is the whole problem with people of faith. It's not so much about sticking to the rules and regulations, it's about living out the faith that we have. And so the one that comes along, the Samaritan, He's the one that makes the difference. He sees the man. He goes over to him. He picks him up. He cleanses his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to an inn. He pays for him to be cared for. And then he leaves a sum of money so that when this guy needs his help, you know, he, he will get everything he needs while at that inn. And if there's any more to pay, he says, when I come back next time, I'll actually pay the difference. He cares for this man. And of course, it's the Samaritan that showed that mercy. And Jesus says to go and do likewise. That's the call on our life. You know, this, this guy was an enemy of the Samaritan, but Jesus says, go and do likewise. That's how we're supposed to be living in this world. And James is making a serious charge here. He's calling out this heartless attitude that's crept into the church there. And he's saying, if you say you follow Jesus, if you call him Lord... Yet you can only offer mindless platitudes in place of meeting even the most basic human needs. Are you even saved? James says such faith is dead. I don't think James could have picked any firmer language, any better language to make his point. He's saying it doesn't matter what you say. If you aren't living it, it's dead. Your faith... It doesn't matter how much you talk about it. It's pointless. It's worthless. It's dead without action. And I love the Francis Chan illustration. You've possibly all heard it many times. You know, he says to his daughter, she comes to him and he says, go clean your room. And, you know, she comes back to him a few hours later. and says, hey, Dad, I've memorized what you said and it's really cool. I can actually repeat it. Go clean your room. A little bit later on, she comes back. She goes, Dad, guess what? Uh, I've actually learned it in Greek. I can say in Greek, go clean your room. And you know, Dad, in the next few weeks, I'm going to get a heap of my friends. We're going to meet weekly and we're going to talk about the many different ways that we can actually clean our room. It's actually going to be really good. I'm sure we're going to come up with all these ideas and concepts on how we can actually clean my room. But you know what? None of it means anything because he wants her to clean the room. And if she never does that, it's pointless. She hasn't got the message. She hasn't understood. And we need to ask, what's the call upon our life? What is God calling us to do? Why do we call him Lord if we're not going to do what he calls us to do? Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. All the words we speak, the things we say, without them resulting in action, never have been, never will be acceptable to Jesus. And deeds are not something that have to be added to our faith. They're a necessary imperative part of our faith. It's part of the outworking of our faith. Without deeds, faith is not really true faith. It's only a shadow, a shade, an imposter of what true faith is. And the argument that James is presenting is that although some may profess a faith and there may be a type of faith there, it doesn't actually produce deeds and that faith is dead. 
It has no saving power. And James is insisting that true faith always changes the heart and will result in acts of mercy and compassion towards others. And inevitably, there's going to be those, that faction, those people who push back and they want to defend their position. And they'll even use biblically sounding words to defend their lack of action or their inaction. And James covers that in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And James is acknowledging that there are people who will say that I'm gifted in faith and you're gifted in works. And then we can point to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, where he speaks about the distribution of gifts and things like that. One of the gifts that Paul talks about is actually the gift of faith. So maybe these people have got some great argument and, and they're actually correct in what they say. But the question can rightfully be asked, how can James demand that all Christians should manifest faith and works based on what 1 Corinthians says? And James says, show me your faith apart from your works. James is not challenging these objectors to give evidence of their faith. He's saying that the faith they are claiming is not faith at all. Their faith is reduced to them saying they believe and there's no life change. There's nothing that happens. And James says, even the demons believe. What does a faith without works amount to? If the faith of the person confesses is just that, just a confession, there's no life change, there's no works, it's the same faith that the demons have. In fact, if we look at 19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. And James is calling the church out here. Whenever we see something like this, you know, God is one mentioned, it's, he's asking them, so your theology, your study or belief of God has brought you to this point. And what he's actually quoting is Deuteronomy 6.4. It's, it's where um, the Jews say the Shema every morning. And so they, they would say every morning and evening, at the beginning and end of each day, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. And so James is saying, you believe that? Well, that's a good place to start. That's pretty actually awesome. But the thing is, even the demons believe that. You're no different to them. And in fact, he says, you're not actually up to their standard because when the demons hear that, they shudder. And the word that's used for shudder here, it's, 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 a, it's a word that means, you know, your hair stand on, up on your arms because you're fearful. And so James is saying, the demons at least have this great fear of God. But you don't. You don't even have that. And the demons shudder because they know the day is coming when the power and might of God will be unleashed on them because they chose to reject God's leadership, His lordship over them. They were disobedient to His guidance and His instruction. And so James is asking the readers, what difference is there between you and the demons? You say you believe in God, you may even fear God just a little bit, but that is not enough. You say you believe in the powerful, almighty God, but all that does is put you on par with the demons. The demons are in a position where they will be judged because of their disobedience to God, His direction and leadership. Why would you be any different? The faith James is talking of is a faith that is intrinsically linked 
to deeds or works. It must be linked to those types of things. You can't have one without the other. Faith is only truly expressed in its outworking. And so faith without works or deeds is false. And then he throws down the challenge in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith without work, uh, sorry, that faith apart from works is useless? Do you really need me to say more than I have already? You know, James is really pushing this. I've told you that you are worse than the demons. And you want me to show you? You fool. And so he goes on to speak about being justified by works. James 2, 21 to 25. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see, the person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? James goes to Abraham, and these guys would know Abraham very, very well. As they read this, they would hold Abraham in very high regard. He's one of their patriarchs, the father of their race. And James says, even Abraham was justified by his works. Genesis 15, 6 is a declaration of Abraham's faith when he believed what God had told him. But when we get to Genesis 22, where Abraham's trust in God, his faith was so strong that he was willing to act that out and sacrifice his son, we see that he's justified by his works. By obeying God and being willing to sacrifice his son. And that's hinted at or spoken very clearly here in Hebrews 17 to 9, 11, 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he had, had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Abraham offered his son. Abraham was known as this great man of faith. But he is known to have this great faith because he lived it out. It was a faith that was acted upon. It was a faith that was active. And back to this passage, James uses the example of Rahab. He's moved from this great patriarch, this highly regarded man of the Bible, to a prostitute. It's an incredible contrast. He says... Wasn't Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And so Abraham's faith and works could be brushed off as no more than what we might expect from this great man of God, this man who spent so much time with God, someone who so richly experienced God's grace. But that's not true of Rahab. Rahab's story is very, very different. She was a prostitute. There's some people that try and talk that away, but she was a prostitute. There's no ifs, buts, or maybes about that. So Rahab and Abraham are total opposites. But Rahab was likewise commended for her faith. She's a woman of a dubious reputation. And yet, her faith was proven by her actions. She welcomed the spies. She protected them. And as a result of her actions, both her and her family were saved. And Rahab receives this incredible honour because if you follow the lineage of Jesus, she ends up being one of the 
um, people that are part of that lineage. Uh, absolutely incredible. That just shows God's great and incredible grace. A wonder. The difficulties that we have in reaching people like Rahab, prostitutes, drug users, things like that. How are we going to stand before Jesus and say, yeah, but they're not good people when we've got this incredible example of Rahab? Both Abraham and Rahab show that their faith was justified by their work, by their actions. Their faith was not silent or inactive. And then James concludes with this. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. James is saying, you know how when your soul leaves your body, you're dead. There's no hope. It's gone. It's finished. When there's no action to go with your talk, you're also dead spiritually. And it's a strong word. It's a difficult word. But hopefully, it calls us to examine ourselves. Hopefully, it calls us to rethink our life before our Saviour. What I'm hoping is you don't believe what your friends say. You know, so often we, we, we begin to question our faith and things like that. And I actually don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. And our friends say, no, you're all right. I know you read the Bible. I know you pray. You're a good person. Don't worry about it. If God's placed something on your heart, don't believe that. Don't, don't believe those lies. You know, I don't want you to beat yourself up, but I want you to question your faith. Are you living for Jesus? Have you received Holy Spirit? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? And does your life reflect that? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. When you see someone who's in need, are you moved to help them? Sometimes we can't help everyone, but is your heart moved to help them? Examine yourself. Ask God to reveal the truth to you. Think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Are the actions you take as a result of your faith? Because if they aren't, your faith is worthless. And that's the word tonight from James. That's what he's telling us. That's his challenge upon us. And as we think about this, as, as we apply this, we need to realise that first and foremost, deeds, works and actions do not save you. Get that quite clear. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what saves you. We are saved by faith. Sorry, we are saved through faith by grace alone. It's a work of Jesus. But the thing is, if we really understand our relationship, if we really understand the gospel, if we really understand what Jesus has done for us, there'll be a life change. We will want to live for him. There'll be this outworking that we can't help. And it's incredible when it happens. It's amazing. Actually, I had someone come to me this week and I was sharing with them over the word and things like that. And this person said to me, he said, I had a conversation at work and this guy was talking to me and we didn't get to talk a lot. He said, but this week we did actually get to talk. And so we were talking. And I, he said, oh, what are you going to do on the weekends? He goes, actually, I go to church. I'm a Christian. I really love Jesus. And, you know, I love studying his word and things like that. And this guy said, you know what? That doesn't surprise me. Uh, I can believe you're a Christian. He goes, oh, yeah, well, so-and-so is a Christian as well. He goes, and his mate goes, really? 
or wouldn't have picked that. What's going on here? Someone's living for Jesus and someone's not. If someone's saying, yeah, I can see that in you, and then when the other person's mentioned, he goes, no, I don't get it. No. And that's the difference we're talking about here. As we've learned through James tonight and previously through Ephesians, when we come to a belief in our Lord Jesus Christ, when we commit ourselves to him, we rise to new life in Christ. The old is gone. It's dead and buried. And this new life is something that is so dynamically different to the world, people should notice. And I know we struggle with that. I know it's not easy. And this isn't about beating you up again. It's about asking, Lord, is it me? Do I need to change? Is this, am I living the way that I should? And, you know, this, this is all about wanting to empower and equip you to be the people God wants you to be. This is about helping you change the world. I think if we can do it here, we can do it wider as well. And this life that we're told that we live is so fundamentally different that it will change the world. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever. When we're talking about our faith, James 5.13 talks about being that salt and light. And, you know, this light that it speaks of, you know, it says that, you know, basically the life that we have, we've gone from death to life, from darkness to light. And that light that we have is now something that we can't contain. It says you don't put it under a bed or hide it under a bushel, do you? You put it on a lampstand so everyone can benefit. So the life that we live should be one that's out there in the open. People should know that we're Christians simply by how we live. And our conversation should be such that they know that we're Christians as well. And it should be that little bit of salt and light, you know, not the floodlight right in your face. It's that little bit of salt and light that draws, not the bit that repels. Who's ever had that experience where, you know, you put a bit of salt on and the lid comes off and it's like... Yeah, I'm not even going to touch that. We just need that little bit of salt, that little bit of flavour that draws people. And it's the same with the light. We don't want the spotlight that's interrogating. We just want a light that draws, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel. Just speak those words in season that God gives us to speak. Our faith is to be seen by men and women. Our faith is to be shown in how we live, the works we do in response to the incredible grace and love that Jesus has first shown us. He's poured it out upon us and he pours it out upon us to allow us to freely pour it out upon others. And so tonight, I ask you to think about your faith. James has emphasised that our faith needs to be active. Is our faith a faith with works or not? Ask God to reveal his truth to you. Ask him for the strength to start putting your faith in action. Will you talk to at least one Christian friend this week? These are the challenges this week. Talk to one Christian friend this week, maybe even tonight. Be honest with them. Ask your friend, is my faith more on the inside or the outside? Can you see how I live for Jesus? You know what? Faith inside and faith outside, both are good. But you've got to have both. Both are important. But we have to find this balance. And if we believe or feel our faith without showing it, we're out of balance. There must be this outworking of faith. That's what James is saying. And there's also a word of caution here. You know, I, I always talk about pendulum swings. You know, we can be here where we don't speak about our faith at all and we don't serve at all. And then we can be here where we're so flat out serving that we don't get to spend private time with God. That's not what it's about. I'd really love everyone in our church to do one thing in this church and to do it well. That would be fantastic. Everyone doing one thing and doing it well. 
And so if you're part of ministry and you're doing a number of things and you come to me and say, Charlie, I want to start this new ministry. If you're doing a number of other things, the first thing I'll ask you is, what are you giving up? Because you have to do what you do well. There's no point being burnt out. Please speak to your friends. Encourage each other. Build each other up in the faith. Make sure you're spending that personal time with God. Take some time to think about the needs of those around you. Who in our church community has needs that you can respond to? Who in your neighbourhood? Who in your workplace or where you study? What is the best way to help each of those people? And are you willing to help them? What's God laying upon your heart? What if the project is too big? You know, I know sometimes we look at a situation and it just seems insurmountable. It seems like, well, I'm not going to make a difference in helping in this case or this situation. Can I challenge you to do for one like you'd like to do for the 100,000? If you do for the one what you'd like to do for the 100,000, for the 10,000, for the 1,000, you will make a difference. You'll certainly make a difference for that person. And if the project is a big project, let's band a few people together. Let's make it happen together as a group of people. I've spoken to you about my life group. We're cooking again for the Hope Foundation um, Tuesday week. Uh, we do meals for them. This is the second time we've done it. Those people absolutely love getting meals. So this will be the second time we do that. We're about to do another project overseas where we're going to be providing uh, birthing uh, kits for um, people over there. It, it doesn't cost us much to do these types of things and we're more than happy to do that. We're looking at doing a project with the church. Come November, Compassion's going to be here. We're going to try and sponsor a whole village. Is that exciting? I think so. You imagine if we could sponsor a whole village of children. That is absolutely fantastic. And I'm hoping that'll be where I take the young adults for a mission trip next year. Um, our life group's keen to go, so we'll see how we go. But we can make a difference in our world. And it doesn't have to be something that costs us millions of dollars. We just need to be ready and say, God, well, you know, think about that kid with the couple of fish and the five loaves. In his hands, it was a snack. He says, well, Jesus, you have this and you use it for your purposes and suddenly it feeds 5,000 people. It's not about what you have. It's about your willingness to give it up and say, well, Jesus, I don't have much, but it's yours. Do what you want with it. And he'll make great things happen. He really will. There are many needs in our city. And are you willing to volunteer and help? You know, I know there's many organisations I can put you in touch with um, that need help, just serving and things like that. Are you willing to step up and serve here at SDBC? And financially, do, do you reassess your finances on a regular basis and think about, well, what's God saying? Am I giving adequately? Am I giving what I can? Is there something else I can be doing? Is there another organisation I can be supporting? And, you know, there's always times to reassess. And with electronic... Um, uh, giving and things like that, electronic tithing, it's quite easy just to set and forget. Reassess those things. Just, just ask yourself, am I, am I doing the right thing? So, I'm done, just about. Do you consider yourself to be that person of action? Just want to do a quick test. I've spoken many times up here and in the last few weeks since we've started this series in James, there's been a challenge every week. So when you heard the message last week or the week before, did you take action as a result? Did you change something because God laid that upon your heart? Because I know, I know Jesus has spoken to many of you. I know he's spoken to you through Holy Spirit. And that's the test. If he's challenged you, if he's called you to do something, you haven't done it. How do you justify that? We need to be people of action. 
So same drill tonight. I'm going to close in prayer. The worship team is going to do another song. I'll be down the front. If you want prayer, come and pray. You won't get any persecution from me. You won't get any judgment. I'll just be celebrating that you've made this choice. And if you need help in sorting out uh, how you're going to serve God and some of the things you can do, I'm more than happy to help you find that as well. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence here tonight. I thank you for this message, which you challenged me over first and foremost, Lord. And I thank you that you've allowed me to speak it here this evening. Father, you speak to people. I know you do. And I know you've been speaking to people tonight. Father, will you allow us to respond to you? Will you allow us to just open our hearts afresh to you and to ask you to guide us in how you would have us to go and what you would have us to do? And Lord, more than anything, for most of us, give us that 15 seconds of bravery that it's going to take to come to the front. Let us do that, Lord. And let us do business with you. Let us commit ourselves afresh to you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.